Hey everybody, welcome to the third episode of the With Podcast. Um, This is a place where we are trying to cultivate our conversation, uh, trying to wrap our head, our heart, and our hands around doing this one singular aspect of being with. With in all its various forms, with God, with others, and with ourselves. Today is Tuesday, uh, so we're going to be having a conversation around being with others. And within that context, I want to jump right into our discussion today. You know, I really like this country. I mean, I honestly think it's pretty great. The freedoms I enjoy, the protections I very often take for granted, the opportunities that avail me on a regular day-to-day basis. Now, as an aside, I know all the things I just listed, freedoms, protections, opportunities, all the things I just listed, and so much more I could list, I named as absolutes uh, and foregone conclusions, attached to my citizenship, but... I feel the need to say the following. Not all citizens of this same country have the same dynamics at their disposal as I do. Whether it be due to geography uh, and setting that are alternative to mine, truly suburban, perhaps the wide wilds of the rural or the concrete jungle of the urban, uh, or the multiplied variances created by different economies of scale tilted towards me as a white male, and away from those who may be just three or even two generations removed from slavery, or those whose gender dictates they are slated to make over 25% less than me. Regardless of effort, work ethic, or even results, they will make less just because. Deep breath. I've already gotten sidetracked by a very reasonable distraction. Back back to my original line of thinking. I really like this country. Sure, I personally think certain things in terms of government reach could be limited and others expanded. But all in all, the system, and it is a system that we are all a part of and submitted to, established by flawed and imperfect humans, is really pretty great. This coronavirus circumstance is dealing all of us so many unfortunate, horrible, and continuously unpacking frustrations. It's also giving us a few reminders and reprieves that if we let God invest them, could and would, I believe, grow us, heal us, and make us better. This is the reality of Romans 8 that many of us know about, uh, have read or heard. Paul writes, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good and for those who are called according to His purpose. When I talk about this awful circumstance we find ourselves and yet fully believe that we can find healing, we can grow, we can become better, this is what I'm referring to. This is the biblical reality that God works all things together for good. It's a biblical good. It's not speaking to quality, but rather productivity. Now, I want to shy away from that word productivity because it's not about working harder, but rather it's about fertility. God can use and God does use every season, every circumstance of our lives for our good. Again, maybe it doesn't feel good. It certainly isn't enjoyable. And this is where I think we oftentimes lose sight of what God is really speaking to in this working all things for good dynamic. We will click enjoyable. We will click 
a little heart on an Instagram or a like on a tweet because something was good, quote unquote. We don't mean it was necessarily useful. We just thought it was enjoyable. God doesn't speak in terms necessarily of enjoyable, but he speaks to the goodness in terms of useful. I'll be speaking to an ourselves piece of slowing down uh, on Thursday's podcast, but for the other's focus of today, I'd like to highlight this reminder as we're all living in right now that we really are connected. I believe that's an important reminder that we can walk away with and we can really lean into during this circumstance in this season. Understand that today, as we have this conversation, we we come at one another from a very different standpoint than our Jesus does. Our Western mindset, bent on personal liberties and rights, is a far cry from the wisdom tradition where Jesus finds his footing. Even the the creation narrative of Genesis 1 paints a picture of a, a day and a night and it was over, and a day and a night and it was over, and there's planting, and there's seeding, and there's fruitfulness, and there's a rhythm, and there's a this, and there's a that. There's a connectedness even in the creation narrative of Genesis 1. We see the outworkings of connectedness, even as by the time Genesis 6 rolls around, there's some real evil in the world. There's some illustrated unhealthy circumstances to the extent that God's like, man, I'm ready to do away with this. And yet he finds favor in one man, Noah. We all know the story. We can watch it on Veggie Tales and Noah and the Ark and how that all goes about. But the greater truth I want to highlight is the connectedness that even in the midst of all the things that are unhealthy, there's one man that finds favor in God's sight. And so the one man has an effect on all others. King David is a case study in connectedness. I mean, he's kind of the the disconnected brother, the one that's left out in the field. But God, even in a disconnected nature, remembers and knows who he is. Beyond that, it's, it's the King Saul's failures that make a way for David. It is David's unhealthy decisions that make for Uriah's downfall and the connection and intimacy with Bathsheba that leads to a child that doesn't have the fruitfulness that David would want it to. There are so many things that surround David's life that prove connectedness is a very real dynamic. The dominating theme of queries and wonderings throughout scriptures rotating around the precursors of Jesus' arrival, which again was never meant to be a different thing. God the Father did not all of a sudden fashion his son in flesh form on a whim. Jesus is fulfillment. Jesus is mystery revealed. Jesus is God's presence manifested as it was here all along. But the dominant theme of queries and wonderings of conversations and economy for Jesus' footing is rotating around the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan. These three realities, the widow, the foreigner, the orphan, these were three distinct frames of existence. Three unattached sections of society who were normal in any population as they are today. And without question, they were the most exposed. They were the most vulnerable. They were the most in need without personal provision or the means to provide. They were naturally shut out. They were routinely pushed aside. 
And this trifecta offered a proving ground for Jesus' culture's health and vitality. How are they shows how we are. This would have been the, the overarching theme of the Jewish mindset. How are those three areas of existence? And that shows how we are. Does everybody have enough? Is everybody being taken care of? Even those who can't take care of themselves. Jesus speaks to these throughout the Gospels and exemplifies his embrace of such. We see him reaching out to the Samaritan woman in John 4, which again would have been unheard of. A woman, but even more so a Samaritan woman. One of the stories that we overlook oftentimes is in in Luke chapter 10, the, the story of the Good Samaritan. That Jesus is telling uh, those surrounding him, a lawyer stands up and asks him, one of the rulers of the day is talking about what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. And he's getting at the great commandment, which we'll speak to in in a few moments. But Jesus says, hey, there was this guy. Let me tell you a story. There was this guy. And some robbers fell upon him and they left him for dead. And a priest came by. Then a Levite came by. And you have to understand, in this culture, in this day and age, the priest and the Levite would have been held in high regard. They were the people to aspire to. They were those most religious of the day. And yet neither of them helped the man who was in need. And then he says, but a Samaritan, a foreigner, goes by, sees the man in need, helps him. And this would have been a huge deal for those listening. Because... This Samaritan wasn't just another person. He was a foreigner, someone who at some level wasn't meant to be cared for or protected. And here he was caring for and protecting. Another story that Jesus tells, or rather doesn't tell, he lives in Luke chapter 7 is the widow at Nain. Jesus just coincidentally happens upon a funeral procession. And it mentions that this man had died and his mother, who was a widow, again, notating the absolute vulnerability of this person. And we oftentimes focus on the fact that Jesus brings this man back to life in Luke chapter 7. But there's an interesting truth in the scriptures. It says, when he sees this man, he had compassion on Her, the mother, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the funeral procession, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. The point of care and interruption wasn't just bringing life back to that which was dead, but really the focus was the ultimately vulnerable, the ultimately exposed, this widow. And this is why Jesus raises the son from the dead and delivers, another version would say introduces the son to the mother. Looming larger than Jesus' own actions are those of the disciples he engaged, those he encouraged, and those with which he entrusted the future. We see it in Acts 1, 2, and 3. The early church is forever launching out, going further. It wasn't just a church for the Jews, but it was also a church for the Gentiles. We see this reaching a fever pitch of sorts in Galatians chapter 3. As Paul writes, 
For as many of you who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The shout of the scriptures clearly says, no one doesn't matter. And furthermore, there's an underlying reality that exists. If that statement is true, if no one doesn't matter is true, then additionally and more influentially, another statement becomes true. You matter to everyone. What I do affects others. What others do affects me. Go even further. What I don't do affects others. What others don't do affects me. The holy trifecta, which acted as a barometer and a great reminder in the wisdom tradition and in the teachings of Jesus as well, as the expression of his life, his message, our future, has been in some ways replaced with the unholy trifecta of me, myself, and I. As long as I'm okay, I can do what I want and it only affects me. (laughs) But beyond the obvious selfishness of that statement, it just isn't factual. It's false. It's not true. I'll grant you maturity has helped me engage this revelation I'm offering today. And hear me, not age or years under my belt as I stand in the shadow of my 39th birthday, but maturity, applied wisdom, discernment, connection to others. You can be 55 and incredibly immature. You can be 14 years old and incredibly mature. I remember the immediate days after Tanya and I were married, realizing if I didn't get us to the airport, we wouldn't catch the airplane for our honeymoon. Now, maybe that's a, a duh disclosure for you, but for me, I became rudely aware that any mistake or falter or misstep I made no longer only affected me, if it only did affect just me, but now I know for a fact it was going to affect her. It changed us. When I installed Ace's car seat into our Nissan the weeks leading up to his birth, I thought I'd done a good job, and I showed Tiny. I was very proud of it. I tugged on it. I pulled on it, and then Tiny made me go to the fire station for their approval. I felt even better about it when I did that after they had adjusted it, but, but it was altogether different a couple weeks later when I firmly placed my hands on that steering wheel, 10 and 2, 10 and 2 like never before, because the reflection of Asa's brand new baby eyes blinking at me in the rearview mirror changed everything. I became rudely awakened once again to something that was true all along. Everything I did or didn't do affected others. Hands on the steering wheel, 10 and 2. I hear this revelation as I hear Jesus answer the age-old question in Mark 12. What's the greatest commandment? What's the most important thing? What? if I could orient my life around, would be most fruitful. And Jesus replies, the agape love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Agape love. Love of choice. Love of practical action. Which is to say something that is so much more than emotional attachment or affinity. It's an acknowledgement that you are affected and you can affect. We love you so much and we hope that you continue to grasp the reality of your reach 
What you do affects others and what you don't do affects others. And in this coronavirus circumstance we find ourselves in, we hope and pray that you're considering those actions and how they affect those around you. We love you so much. We're praying for you. We hope that you found this to be at least igniting in terms of a conversation for yourself and for others. Let me leave you all with a benediction. Now may you, in the way of our Christ, go, be with and for others as God is for and with you. Love you so much.